The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we are lucky enough to be catching up with Robert Ryan. Rob is Chief Executive of Bardock Gold. Bardock trades under the code BDC or Bravo Delta Charlie. It last traded at 7.3 cents for a market cap of about 125 million. As its name suggests, Bardock is focused on the gold mining centre of Bardock which is about 40 uh, kilometres north of Kalgoorlie in WA's eastern goldfields. Formed by the same guys that took Pilbara Minerals from next to nothing to the leading lithium producer it is today, Bardock has assembled a 3 million ounce plus gold resource across a number of deposits through a series of mergers and acquisitions since 2017. It's also been enjoying a good deal of exploration success in the meantime. The resource comes at a good grade and formed the basis of a PFS in March, which pointed to a 1.2 million tonne per annum processing plant, producing an annual average of 135 ounces of gold for an initial eight years, all at a robust, all-in-sustaining cost of about $1,220 an ounce. Now, we all know gold has taken a bit of a a hit in recent weeks, but it's worth mentioning that in Australian dollar terms, its current price of 2,455 an ounce is still wonderful stuff. Now, Bardock is one of the few listed gold developers getting ready to become a producer of more than 100,000 ounces a year. De-risking events lay ahead. A PFS in March next year, an off-take agreement for the gold concentrate portion of Bardock's production, and of course, financing for the project. As those events are passed, Bardock is in line to be substantially, substantially re-rated by the market. So it's a good time to be catching up with Rob to hear the story. With that, I'm going to say good day to Rob and welcome him to the podcast. Hi, Rob, and thanks for your time today. Thank you, Barry. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Okay, Rob, uh, tell us a bit about your professional background leading up to joining Bardock about 18 months ago and what it was that attracted you to the company and the project. Yes, yeah, so prior to joining Bardock, I spent the last 17, 18 years living and working in Calgary, Boulder, so I know the area quite well. I've, um, I'm a mining engineer by trade and... Uh, you know, raised a family up there in Kalgoorlie. And uh, it's been a fantastic uh, career development path to be able to get that experience in and around operating mines. Um, and when I was tapped on the shoulder by Roland Johnson, um, who I had dealings with at Excelsior Gold, to come join the team in Bardock and seeing the drive and determination behind the team, it really did give me the confidence to uh, step up into the CEO role. Right. Now, Bardock, I mentioned 40Ks north of uh, the home of Australian gold production, Kalgoorlie. Is there a better place to be building a gold mine? Oh, there's no better place to be building a gold mine than the heart of the gold fields. Um, it's got it's close to all locally infrastructure as well as the residential workforce. Uh, it's a fantastic place to be one building a gold project. Right. Now, I mentioned uh, some de-risking events uh, on the near horizon the DFS, the offtake, and the financing. Let's deal with them uh, individually. The DFS, where's that at? And uh, should uh, investors be expecting much different from what was seen in the PFS? 
Oh, look, uh, we still see that there's plenty of upside from the PFS to the DFS. Um, we've been having a look at re-optimising a lot of our mine plans. So we're going to target uh, to convert. Uh, we had about a million ounces in a production target in the pre-feasibility study, and we'll look to convert the majority of that into reserves uh, as part of the definitive feasibility study, as well as have a look at some additional open pits uh, that weren't assessed as part of the pre-feasibility study. So ideally, we want to target around that million ounce mining reserve um, and pushing that mine life out past the sort of eight years we currently have planned. Uh, that really does, will set the company up for a longevity of operation and um, at really high margins when you consider the current gold price. Mm, okay. Uh, offtake. Uh, with the uh, refractory nature of one of the deposits, Aphrodite, uh, means I think about half of uh, your gold will be produced in concentrate form. Uh, plenty of other miners do the same, but to some investors it seems to be a bit of a worry. Explain to us the concentrate market and why investors uh, shouldn't be fearing having to sell about half your production into that market. Yeah, the big thing about producing your gold concentrate is it significantly de-risk the project. Um, a lot of the refractory processing routes uh, that you have, uh, they cost a lot of capital to get them up and running. Uh, so you not only have that risk with the increased capital, but you also have the risk in and around uh, the technical process that you that you go down and whether they actually are able to uh, get the recoveries that you expected. So having a look at the investment scenario it makes um, a lot more sense to really take that capital out of the project, uh, focus on producing gold concentrate, selling that into the off-tape market, and the terms that we're getting from the traders are quite significant and it really doesn't um, stack up to you know, putting all that capital up front for a minor saving on the uh, operation operational costs. All right. Um, the, I mentioned there's some other mines around. I know Evolution sells some concentrates. Are there some other names that uh, investors will be aware of? Correct. And you would have, uh, if your investors have been following the story of Aurelia, uh, they recently picked up the Dargis Gold Mine in New South Wales. Uh, they've been doing a similar um, gold concentrate deal for a few years now. So it really does uh, de-risk, not only de-risk the project, but there's multiple uh, projects out there doing it already. As you said, Evolution uh, with their Mount Carlton mine. You also have uh, Silver Lake uh, Resources with their deflected gold mine over here in Western right. Australia. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of operations uh, producing the gold concentrate and selling it into the market. Right. And who are the end users as such? Uh, the end users are a series of smelters throughout Asia. Uh, so China's obviously a big consumer, uh, but you also have Korea, Japan, uh, as well as India that uh, have a lot of smelters uh, in demand for gold concentrates. Right. And was that correct? About half and half uh, will be uh, free milling and then the other half of the gold uh, will go to the concentrate market? Correct. About 50% of our gold will be produced as a dore or gold bars, and the other 50% will be produced as a concentrate over the life of the mine. Right. Okay. Now, just having a look at financing around the timetable there, uh, the grade is good. Uh, the measured and indicated component of the, of the project is strong. So I imagine... Uh, on the debt side of things, in terms of financing, you'd be looking at upwards of 70% or thereabouts? Yeah, look, our target, uh, the project itself, from what it has in our pre-feasibility study, will support anywhere up to around sort of 65 to 75% debt, depending on the gold price used. So um, we're quite confident 
uh, being able to get financing around that 65% component uh, of debt to equity. So, you know, we've been speaking to a number of banks already, as well as uh, some of your other debt providers, um, and having a look at what best suits the company to enable us to get project finance approved and into production as early as possible. Mm. Now, uh, the share register base, obviously, um, you had a big raising earlier this year. Was it 30 mil or thereabouts? Uh, it was $24 million. And 24. that was large. Yeah, that was largely um, through institutional holders. Um, we went out um, after we released our pre feasibility study. We understood the confidence that we had to be able to get the debt financing for the project. However, uh, the way the project had come together through a series of corporate mergers had brought together large shareholding bases of largely retail shareholders. So that put us in a position where we knew the project was fundable from a debt perspective, but we didn't have clarity on where we were going to raise the 50 to $60 million of equity that was needed to build the project. So we wanted to focus really on getting the right people on the register who were going to follow their money into production. And through that raise, that $24 million raise, we welcomed a number of institutional holders that have now made commitments to follow their current investment anywhere from two to three times when it comes to the project capital bill. Right, okay. That uh, $30 million figure I use, I think that's your actual or roughly your cash position at the moment, which I take it's more than enough to carry you through to uh, the DFS? Correct, and that'll see us all the way through to FID. Um, And as well as having some money left over, that if we do have the ability to be able to bring forward any pre-production capital work, We've got the cash on hand to be able to do that to get this project into production as soon as possible. Okay. And final investment decision possible by when? Uh, FID, we're targeting the end of Q2. Uh, So by the time we've uh, released our DFS in Q1, uh, we've gone out and done some due diligence with the banks on the final DFS study. Uh, We're expecting FID by the end of Q2. Okay. Now we're... Investors, uh, we're all an impatient lot. First production, possible, by when? So our target is to start construction on the project of August, September 2021. And that really does put us in a position for a 12-month construction build to have first gold production around August, September 2022. Mm. Um, I can't think of too many 100,000-ounce-plus mines that have that sort of uh, near-term production potential. Are you aware of any others? No, I guess that's what really separates Bardock from the rest of the pack. Um, not only do we have the potential of producing over 100,000 ounces per annum, but our pre-feasibility study highlighted a five-year period in the project where we will produce over 150,000 ounces per annum. And that is a significant project in anyone's right. So when we start having a look at the potential of the project outside of uh, that you know, 100,000 ounces plus, um, we still have the opportunity through exploration to really add to that production profile. And that's what we're seeking to do uh, with our latest drilling programs. I was just going to ask, actually, what is the project's upside from here, you see? Yeah, so what, we, what we've got at the moment is a project that is going to have between the eight to 10-year mine life. Um, we'll focus now on uh, upgrading that as part of DFS. But when we look longer term, uh, we have a lot of exploration potential. 250 square kilometres of 10 unit, a really highly prospective corridor um, in the Bardock Tectonic Zone, as well as some of our satellite projects like North Canada Star and Mayday. 
uh, where we see that there's strong potential for 100,000 ounce plus style discoveries within those areas. One of the overriding um, strategies uh, has been M&A, uh, picking up uh, projects that were too small otherwise, but when wrapped into Bardock, uh, the grand project, as it were, uh, makes for this uh, three million ounce plus with the strong production profile. Uh, are you done and dusted on that side of things or are you about the right project size now, you think? Oh, look, I think we will always uh, be open to further works, um, whatever developments there are within the area. Now, the big thing that we want to see is we've got an outstanding project in its own right as it is now. Mm. Um, in the future, if we start having a look at uh, further M&A work, um, it really is an area much needed, much need of consolidation. Um, that's the way the Bardock story has come together through consolidation. Um, and if we start looking further to the north, as well as uh, some of the areas out to the east as well, uh, there hasn't been significant um, really exploration conducted on those areas. And you know, they really do need a home uh, processing home in the long run. Mm. Just to sharing that uh, consolidation angle there, there's obviously plenty of hungry mills within easy truss, uh, trucking distance of Bardock. Um, I'm just wondering how you've been weighing up the standalone versus uh, toll treatment uh, sort of possibility for the project? With the scale of Bardock, toll treatment doesn't really, um, it doesn't really work. Mm. Uh, it, your toll treatment operators tend to take quite a big chunk of uh, your revenues. If you're considering that they'd expect to have anywhere of a range of $15 to $20 a tonne um, on top of uh, their processing costs, that, you know, which would be their operating margin. Um, I looked after a lot of toll treatment arrangements when I was at Paddington Gold as their uh, GM of tech services as well mm -hmm. as their GM of operations. Um, so I understand the, the ins and outs of that toll treatment scenario. And um, really, when you've got the scalability, uh, as Bardock does to be able to build your own plant, you really become the masters of your own destiny and you can then move forward and grow the company further from there. Yeah. Now, just on a, a value proposition, the, uh, I came across some broker research this morning where I think Bardock was number five on a, a enterprise value per resource ounce valuation basis. So it was the fifth lowest of 20 explorers slash developers. I was just wondering, why do you think that's, uh, that is the case and how do you see yourself going up that value tree in terms of EV versus resource ounce metric? Yeah, I believe the case really comes out because when you start having a look at the way the projects have come together through that series of con consolidations and bringing together really um, older shareholder bases or larger shareholder bases, um, uh, we haven't had that expiration of hype that goes along with it. So if we were a company starting in 2016 with essentially zero ounces in resource and then through expiration expanded out to over 3 million ounces, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd have no doubt in saying our market cap would be multiples of where we are today. However, because we've consolidated projects, we've brought together those, re, those uh, shareholder bases, um, that's where the value proposition is now. And as we transition closer and closer to production, uh, I don't believe any, that can be ignored for very much longer. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point you make. Um, there's plenty of examples out there at the moment of uh, discoveries, quote unquote, where <clears throat> if the market cap's not a billion dollars, it's uh, pretty close to it. Uh, and by extension, production three to five years off, whereas you guys are looking at uh, near-term production from 
well, on Kalgoorlie's doorstep, which is a de-risking event in itself. Correct. And um, I think we do present a lot of value uh, for all holders in, uh, at this present, as well as uh, new people looking to enter the stock. Uh, we're constantly going out now marketing the project to a number of um, bigger funds, especially overseas, um, and the value proposition is being recognised outside of um, not only uh, the retail base here, but also outside in uh, the fund managers in um, North America and Europe. So as we continue to progress and de-risk the project uh, over the coming months, I'd expect to see a significant re-rating as we transition from developer into producer. Mm. I mentioned earlier the uh, uh, all-in sustaining cost of uh, Australian dollars, 1220 uh, What's the? It's very competitive uh, compared to other projects out there. Uh, is that a combination of its location or is it the grade uh, and the grade or uh, how would you, why is it so robust, do you think? I think when you look at our project in comparison to a lot of our peers, we're significantly higher grade. Um, you know, the average long grade for the project sits around 2.6 grams a tonne. We're a mix between underground and open pit operations. So we have that balance between low and sustaining costs for the underground um, and as well as your um, base load feeds uh, for the mill for your open pits. So we've got scalability in uh, both aspects. Uh, it really does present an opportunity now um, when we start looking at that all in sustaining cost at gold prices, um, you know, northwards of sort of $2,400 an ounce, which, mind you, uh, is still well above where we completed our pre-feasibility study um, in March this year. So I think that really needs to be taken into perspective. Mm. Um, just to refresh us, what was the figure you used in the PFS? Our pre-feasibility study was conducted at $2,100 an ounce. Mm -hmm. um, most of our reserves were calculated at about $1,800 Australian an ounce. So it really does put us in a good position um, to get the margins uh, that we're seeing in the current uh, gold environment. All right. So at that lower figure in the PFS, what was the suggested payback period? Uh, the suggested payback period uh, was about three years at $2,100 an ounce. Right, okay. Now, assuming uh, things hold together in the gold market, uh, I take it you don't see eight years as the uh, start, uh, the end of uh, things. Bardock will be uh, around for a lot longer than that, you think? Correct. And look, um, what we've got in the development profile now and some of the work we're doing on the exploration front, uh, we're not talking about a project that's going to be an eight to nine year mine life um, in the future. Uh, this will be in operation, then in 15 years' time, we'll still be uh, chugging along. Mm. And you yourself, you do you, uh, you don't live in Kalgoorlie now, do you? You're Perth-based? No, I've relocated to Perth now. Uh, I've brought the so family. Suit uh, and tie on nowadays. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit different uh, wearing a white-collared shirt to the office rather than the uh, old high-vis, I can tell you that, Barry. But mm. it's um, it, it has been a transition for the family to move down here. But, uh, look, I, I love Kalgoorlie and I love the area. Um, and I think that there's still opportunity there that you know, um, I would recommend for anyone, whether they're new to the industry or they want to get into the industry, um, if you base yourself in Kalgoorlie, the, as what I've proved in my career, the, um, the, the options are limit, limitless. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's bring it all together for investors uh, by, by giving them a feel for what they should be looking out for, say, in the next three to six months with the company. 
So next three to six months, look, we're in our final throes of completing our offtake agreement. Um, that'll be completed in a matter of weeks, uh, and we'll get that out to the market um, as soon as we've signed on the dotted line with an offtaker. And that really is a key de-risking yeah. milestone for our project. Um, if we have a look at our off um, our offtaker arrangements, will lead into our definitive feasibility study and our financial analysis. Uh, that should be complete. Uh, by around March next year, um, and then from then on, as I said, financing, final investment decision Q2, and then first um, construction and putting a shovel in the ground around August, September next year. So it's exciting times ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so there, there we've got it, uh, an exciting project, uh, hurtling towards first production. Um, not many with Bardock scale, so it'll be interesting to watch the, how the re-rating of the company uh, proceeds as first production approaches. So with that, I'm going to say all the best with it, Rob, and thanks for your time today. No worries, Barry. Thank you very much.